Welcome to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Each weekday, Dr. Crisp will be discussing biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Tune in daily to start your day right and deepen your understanding of how to better walk the way and enjoy the journey. Here's your host, Dr. Tony Crisp. Welcome to On the Way. This is Tony Crisp, and this is podcast number 79. Now, in our last podcast, we were continuing to look at the temple, the second temple, and I spoke to you about the expansion of Herod the Great uh, beginning in 20 B.C., 20 years before Christ. He really started the work in earnest, and it lasted all the way down to about 64 A.D., and so it was a long period of time, something like 85 years in that expansion, but it was absolutely a magnificent building, and all the environs around it were expanded and renovated and remodeled. It was absolutely stunning, and you can still see parts of it today. But what I want to do is give you the layout so that you can just follow along. Now, the temple was long, or the temple complex, and we talk about the temple, the temple itself was built and design like the one of Solomon and like the tabernacle before it had three parts. It had the outer court and that's where you had the great altar, the brazen altar. And then you had the laver that comes from the word wash basin. That's why we call it lavatory because it was where the laver was, the wash basin. Then you went into the first room of the temple proper. Uh, The temple had two rooms. It had the holy place and that had three different pieces of furniture. It had, as you walked in, you looked to the left, you would see a golden menorah, a lampstand that had seven uh, lamps on it. And those burned and, and were tended to in the morning and tended to at night. If you looked to your right, you would see a table with 12 loaves of bread on it. And those were changed on a regular basis. And then in front of you, you saw a beautiful tapestry, a curtain, and it was beyond imagination how beautiful it was especially in that second temple that we have descriptions of. We have the biblical description of it in the Tanakh, in the Samuel Kings and Chronicles material. But uh, Josephus describes this um, tapestry, this curtain, this veil in great detail. And then behind that was a cube that was uh, the Holy of Holies. And that's the most holy place where the Ark of the Covenant was, which was a chest And then on top of that chest was a lid. That lid was called the mercy seat. And it was covered with two angels that were all together and they all were one piece. And so that was what covered the chest or the ark. And that is where God met with his ancient people, Israel. And that's where he accepted the blood of the atonement once a year on Yom Kippur. And so that was the temple proper, the temple building. But the great courtyard and expanded courtyard that and temple complex is what you can still see and walk on today. Some of the very stones that were there during the days of Solomon, during the days of Jesus, are still there today. And there's one spot that was there, the bedrock that you can walk on under what is called the Temple of the Souls is the very bedrock of Mount Moriah itself where you're walking on it up on the Temple Mount. And that is that was there during the days of Abraham, of course, and before. But what I want to do is just walk you around the wall 
walls. Then there's four walls of course, and it's north, south, east, west. The length of it, or the from north to south, the western wall where you have part of it, which is a very small part of it, is called the Wailing Wall by the rest of the world. But it is approximately 1,600 feet. Now, that's a long wall, but he built that as a retaining wall, and then he filled that in with stones and so forth, mighty stones, and that retaining wall had to carry a lot of weight. But it was 1,591 feet long. The northern wall was 1,033 feet. Now, of course, all of this can be measured in meters. The western wall was 485 meters. The northern wall was 315 meters, which is 1,033 feet. The eastern wall that faces the Mount of Olives was 460 meters, and that's 1,509 feet. And then the southern wall, as far as its width, was 280 meters, and that was 918 feet. And so, as you can tell, from north to south, it was 1,500 feet plus. And then, as far as wide, how wide it was, the northern wall was over 1,000 feet, and the southern wall was almost 1,000 feet. And you can see those dimensions when you're standing on the Mount of Olives, 300 feet above it, or 30 stories above it. You can see the layout of the Temple Mount itself, as it was during the days of Jesus. Now, there were gates and entrances, and each one of them had a purpose. And some were just to let in general traffic, but there were certain gates that were used by certain people. And so let's start at the south. At the south, which most people are familiar with, you had a set of triple gates, which was the way you walked in after you had climbed a series of steps. And then the holder gate or the double gate is the way that you walked out. And so you had in traffic and you had out traffic and the two never mixed because there were thousands upon thousands of people that would go in at one time and and come out at the same time. And so they did this for traffic flow. So the triple gates, which would have been on in the southern wall, they would have been on the eastern side of the southern wall. And then the double gates where you came out, they would have been as far as the east and west, they would have been on the western, toward the western corner of the wall. Now, the southern steps that were used to walk up to these triple gates where you went in and the double gates where you came out, they are instructive in themselves because you will have a normal step and then you will have uh, what would be about three times the size of a normal step and then a regular normal step and then about three times uh, the width of uh, a normal step. And this was not just for traffic control, which is used around the world still to this day, because you cannot just run up the steps. You have to think about it as you go. But they were also places where these pilgrims that would come into the temple uh, to worship they would have to stop and think. And many times they would stop and read Psalms on their way up. And what they were doing was preparing their heart 
for worship. And so much of this is instructive, and I'm not going into all that today because I wish I could take every one of you there and teach you about the great aspects of worship that God, just in the building of the temple and of the way that it was built, helps us to understand that we are to enter into the Lord's courts with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. And we are to slow ourselves down and get everything else off of our mind. There was a cleansing process that went on before you went up into the temple complex. And and the reason was it was not uh, a gymnasium. It was not a uh, place that was mundane. It was a special place. And uh, in America, we've lost that sense of speciality of the house of worship. And we have tried to make it just like any other event center. But I can tell you, the house of God in the Old Testament and the places of worship in the New Testament were not ordinary places. They were places that were special. And they were special because God's people met there. And they dedicated many of those places, those early centers, to worship And when they went to those places, they had rituals that they followed as well, just like the Jews, because you remember all of the early church for the first eight to 10 years, all of the early church were Jews, all of them. And so they followed uh, Judaistic rituals. It was only when the Gentiles came in that we thought we knew more than God, and we started veering away from those things. And some of the things were just ritual in themselves, but most of those rituals had a purpose, and that is to help us to enter into worship and to worship and then to leave worship in a way instead of rushing in on two wheels and then rushing out so that we can go do something else and forget about what we've learned. Well, that's enough of that. And so that's the southern end of the temple. The eastern side is uh, where you had the eastern gate. And many of you have seen that. There were actually a couple of gates and uh, we'll just leave it at that. The northern gate the northern wall. This is where you also had entrances from the north, and that's also where the Antonio Fortress was built on the northwestern side, and the Antonio Fortress was built by Herod the Great and named after Mark Anthony because he was one of the patrons of and supporters of Herod the Great and his work there. And so this was the fortress where Jesus would have been scourged. That would have been on the northwest side. And the side that most people think of when they think of the temple walls is the western wall. And it is the longest of the walls, 1,591 feet, almost 1,600 feet. And it has a series of gates. It has four gates in it. The southernmost gate that led into Solomon's portico, which was on the southern end of the temple. Solomon's portico was absolutely stunning and beautiful. That is where the royal gate would have been. That's where if any dignitaries would have gone in, that would have been it. And today, all that's left there is part of an archway, and it's referred to as Robinson's Arch because a man by the name of Robinson discovered it, and when he did, it was named after him. And then you have the Sempano Gate. For those of you ladies who have been at the Western 
Western Wall, the Wailing Wall, and you have been on the ladies' side where you pray and uh, men and women cannot pray together there. They're separated. And the side that the women pray, if uh, you ever are there again and you look to the right and just above where you are, where the bridge is, that's the entranceway into the Temple Mount, you will see a corner of the Simpano Gate that is still there today. And then there's an archway that we have still remaining where the men pray. There's a synagogue in there today. That is part of what is left of a bridge that went over the roadway that was below it. And that is also where another gate was on top of that bridge. And then as you go north, you'll see the final gate, the northernmost gate on the western wall. And that is called Warren's Gate because a man by the name of Warren discovered that. Now, that was the one that was closest to the back of the temple that would have been the way where many of the priests would have come and gone in doing their duties. The common people went in the southern gate, and you would have had the rich and the wealthy going in those western gates because they would have been coming from the northern hill, which was where a lot of the wealth was, and they would have come in, and then that Warren's Gate would have been closest to the Holy of Holies. As a matter of fact, it may have been the gate that was mentioned in the book of Acts where it says that Saul of Tarsus, the apostle Paul, when he was taken out by the stairs, I think it would be like chapter 25 and toward the end of the chapter, maybe even verses 26 or 29. I'm just seeing it in my mind right now and don't have my Bible in front of me. But this is where I believe that the steps would have been that Paul would have been taken because the Romans had to come in and get him because he was going to be killed, they felt like, and then they took him to the Antonio Fortress for examination. Well, I just looked at the clock and it's over 14 minutes, and so I'm going to have to shut it down again. We'll talk some more while we're on the way. This is Tony Crisp. Thanks for listening to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Tune in every weekday for information on biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Fridays are for your questions. Email your questions to questions at TonyCrisp.org. Then just listen for your question to be answered on Friday's podcast. That's questions at TonyCrisp.org. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day on the way.